Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 197 of Yoga Land. This week is a podcast that was recorded several weeks ago. Uh, it was a fundraiser that Jason and I did for Goats of Anarchy, and we were uh, interviewed by Bridget Reipel of New Jersey Yoga Collective. Goats of Anarchy is also in New Jersey, and they were raising money to build a new barn for their goats. Many of their goats are injured and disabled, and they require a lot of care and work. And this organization is phenomenal. So if you love animals, you can go follow them on Instagram at Goats of Anarchy and and just see beautiful little goats appear in your feed every day. So a lot has happened since this interview was recorded, including the protests and uprisings for Black rights around the U.S. and around the world. And I knew as of about last Sunday that I just could not bring myself to post a podcast about yoga. I just did not feel right. I wanted our collective focus to be on what is happening out there. I think that there is definitely a tendency in the yoga community to focus so much on ourselves and our own well-being that sometimes, you know, I will hear like I'm doing a news fast. I can't I can't handle it. It's too much for my nervous system or sort of this idea of like taking self-care sort of to the max. And I wrote this in our our newsletter this week. But just to repeat it, obviously there's so much of yoga that's that's about tuning into ourselves, learning about ourselves, learning about how we respond to things and how we need to stay well. And that's important. And a lot of it is self-reflection. But yoga is a practice of action and it's a practice of purpose. And so we build up this strong foundation in ourselves so that we can be resilient and be of service to others and hold space for others. So I think it's important to tune in to what is happening in the world right now and to take an action to improve things for others. And I have gotten a few responses that I should, you know, stay out of politics and People like it better when uh, I don't send newsletters that talk about our support of Black Lives Matter and I matter. And I understand that to a certain extent because I've never wanted people to feel excluded from this practice. But at the same time, we're not talking, I'm not talking about this from a place of politics. I'm talking about this from a place that I think is very yogic, which is that we are all connected. We are all divine within. We all contain the vastness of the universe (laughs) within ourselves. And so it's up to us to take care of each other, no matter what differences we may have in our skin color, no matter what differences we may have in our politics. That's my, my firm belief. I am obviously not very practiced at talking about this, and I am not an anti-racism educator by any means. I, you know, I'm trying to educate myself more and more to my own privilege. So there are so many people to follow and so many people to learn from, but I'll just point out one person in our, or actually two, two organizations in our community. One is Nicole Cardoza. She runs a grant foundation called Reclamation Ventures that supports marginalized people with different kinds of grants. 
You can check her out and Reclamation Ventures. And she also right now is sending out a daily anti-racism newsletter that I subscribe to. And it's really amazing because she's doing this work, work daily. It's She's got a handle on how to present this information in a very digestible, actionable way. So I highly recommend going to her website and signing up for that. And also I recommend going to Citizen Well and listening to their podcast. They've been around for a while and they, you know, they focus on social justice and activism in the yoga world and kind of similar to Nicole closing the wellness gap. So they have great guests and talk about these things in a very adept, intelligent way. Okay. This is a long intro. I hope you enjoy the interview. So I, I mean, I'm extremely familiar and I'm blessed to be with Jason because he did come to Evenflow Yoga, I think much in part because and begged him to, right, Tim? Did you, did you force him to come to New Jersey for that? Or were you guys on family trip business? <laughs> He's- no, it was a great connection. I, I, loved, I loved being there. I taught, is it twice? No, maybe. No, I think it was three times. Three times. Three times, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. It was great obviously a lot different now because you're not trying. And then Andrea, you're from New Jersey. Yeah. And I mentioned that I was born in, in Flemington. Uh, I mean, I only lived there till I was four, but I always, I still sometimes when the moment calls for it, claim to be a Jersey girl, like when I need to, you know what I mean? <laughs> My grandmother grew up in Jersey city. And so I have a lot of relatives there. When, when you need to pull that card, you can. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So could you guys give a little feedback or not description, I guess, of what the Yoga Land podcast is and what you do. I'm a listener. I'm a, I'm a fan. I should get like the t-shirt or join the fan club. Uh, but could you just kind of let everybody, because I think most of the people in here know Jason as Jason, the yoga teacher, which you are in this podcast, you're teaching, but could you just give us like a little bit about what you do? Sure. Gosh, I haven't been asked this in a while. So I started Yoga Land really as kind of a passion project. It's something I had always wanted to do. I was an editor at Yoga Journal before that. Well, my favorite part of the job was talking to yoga teachers who were writing for me, talking to them on the phone. Not necessarily the editing part was the most fun, but talking to them on the phone. And I would often get off the phone and just feel re-inspired about my practice. And I would feel, you know, excited to be part of the community. And I would feel like I learned so much. And then I would do a whole interview with them and maybe like 25 words of that interview appeared in the magazine. So I started to think to myself, gosh, it would just be so nice for other people to hear these conversations that are just natural, but in-depth conversations about yoga. So that's why I started it. And when I started the podcast, I was very much in a place of feeling like I wanted to interview all the experts and I really didn't kind of have the confidence in my own expertise or in my own voice. And that kind of grew over time and it grew with encouragement from Jason. (laughs) And so... Now we we do a combination of I will do interviews with other teachers, but we also do a lot of conversations with each other where we just try to offer what we think is important to the community and and you know as much help and support and inspiration for yoga practice as possible. I want to pick up just one quick thought too, which is Andrea worked as an executive editor at Yoga Journal, like she said, for 10 years. And she's talking about these conversations. And when I think about being a teacher, all of these conversations that Andrea has or had with teachers, she got us in our most comfortable position, which is talking, right? 
as a yoga teacher, we, most of us aren't really writers. And so she was able to capture through conversation where I think teachers communicate with the greatest amount of ease and skill and practice, which is through candid conversation. And I think that she's done, a, I, I, think, I don't think that she's just done a good job of this, carrying it through the podcast, but I think that that's what the audience sees, is it just feels like an, an honest and candid conversation. Yeah, I think I was really fortunate in the fact that being sort of an executive editor at Yoga Journal and having this title, the teachers saw me as contemporary. Yeah. So, you know, I'd be talking to Matias Rachi and she, and also the teachers were not always confident in their writing. So she would say like, does it sound okay? Like, what if I say, you know, oh, you made this sound so much better. So yeah, yeah you are the authority. It, well, no, it's yeah. just that I was able to communicate with them on, on a, a more one-on-one -on -one level rather than a teacher and student level, even though really I felt like I was their student. But they were learning from me and I was learning from them. So it kind of, when I started the podcast, I have that, I had that good fortune of already having that relationship with a lot of these people and that connection with a lot of these people so that they were, they were happy to talk to me, which I feel really fortunate about. It's been really fun. I'm usually happy to talk to her on the podcast. <laughs> I think that that's, first of all, incredibly interesting. And also just, you know, when we spoke and you guys had said you just did about a 90 minute podcast, was it a week or two ago about kind of where where yoga's at right now and where it's headed, you're kind of an authority, I would think, on where we've come from. The, having those conversations over the course of X amount of years and being able to hear, I'm sure it, it wasn't talk about, how do you do triangle pose? What's your favorite cue for warrior two, right? It's, it's a deeper conversation and I would think it just really informs how you're able to speak and share now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I saw behind the curtain a lot <laughs> <laughs> for better and for worse it's like you you always glorify a community until you see behind the curtain of that community and you're like oh this community is full of humans that yeah. are just the same as humans behind any other community yeah i would say the first few years it was a little disconcerting that some people weren't as mature as i thought they should would be i cried or, a lot <laughs> or you know i mean the worst situation I ever witnessed was name names. No, 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 no. I'm joking. I will never name names. Was my my colleague at the next cubicle, it was Diane, just interviewing someone and kind of pressing this person on something that they didn't want to talk about about their anyway. And he dropped an F bomb and hung up the phone. So that was hard at first. Was it, me? <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't. I mean, I have done that in my life, but this was not the situation. <laughs> For me, I think it was a really healthy thing ultimately, because I think I grew up, you know, I grew up Catholic and I grew up like such an obedient little Italian American girl, like following the rules and all these things. And so I was able to say, wow, like that person is just human. Yeah. They're not more realized than me. And I still love this practice and I still love it for my own personal reasons. And it probably is still helping that person, even though they struggle with dysregulation sometimes. Imagine if they didn't have their yoga practice. Um, so, yeah, I never really, I, nobody's ever asked me that question. That's really interesting. Yeah. Interesting question. And when were you with Yoga Journal? What years? Oh, gosh. I started in 2002. Uh, I know that because that's when I completed my 200-hour certification. 
And then I left when so like a little when they moved to Colorado when Sophia was born. So like 2013. Yeah, I think. 2013. Yeah. You have watched, and Jason, I don't know if you love or hate the story, but you've watched the rise of the like the yoga lever date. Yeah. There's many people in our community who would put you in that category, whether or not you, uh, you know, want to be. <laughs> what was that like? Like the, I mean, and I don't mean the Instagram yoga celebrity, but I mean that actual festival sort of stars in the community. So I'll take it on twofold. I think that there are... Uh, yoga celebrities, but only in the context of yoga, in the same way that there's like famous cellists, but no one knows who they are outside of that yeah, community. Yo- yeah, 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 actually, <laughs> Yoyama is way more famous than any yoga teacher has ever been or will ever be. When I think about celebrity, I have like kind of like a, a basic feel about it, which is then that means that you are regularly known and recognized outside of your small little context. So there are lots of people, including myself, who are well-known commercially within the yoga world, but no one in the yoga world is regularly getting on an airplane and having the pilot come out and shake their hand, right? You know what I mean? So I think that 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 context, I think, is important. I think, you know, for me, I mean, my main teacher was probably the most well-known, commercially well-known yoga teacher in the 90s and the early 2000s, Rodney Yee. And so I was there firsthand. And I don't know. I mean, to some degree, I looked up to him and I do, well, I mean, to many degrees, I looked up to him, but I looked up to him much more as a teacher than as an icon. You know what I mean? So I feel like maybe because I had a personal relationship with him and also a personal relationship of a lot of well-known yoga teachers, I think that I related to them as mostly normal people and not icons because I saw that they're just like me and they're just like everyone else. And yeah, I don't think that I, I don't think that from my perspective, I saw anyone in that community, including myself, as some like vaulted figure, only because I knew him. Whereas I, I think it's when we don't know people well. And not, not to say like when we know someone well, they're less important. It's just so we relate to them differently. And when we know someone well, they're not this separate, austere person that's, you know, floating around. They're just, they're just who they are. I, we've also seen that be hugely changed and decentralized, right? You had for a long period of time, you would gain commercial access. And I, th- that's how kind of how I want to say it, because I don't want to put up a, set up a scenario where we're talking about like the really good yoga teachers versus the not good yoga teachers. We're talking about commercially very visible teachers, right? And the route through that for so long was really just through the conferences and through Yoga Journal. Like there was that one primary institution. And then when social media came along, that decentralized it so that there were more pathways to becoming more commercially known within the world. It was no longer just through the Yoga Journal conference route. It was through work and social media and, and kind of the, the skill level of being able to utilize that medium and being be an early adopter. And also more conferences started. Like 
Yeah, that's right. We at Yoga Journal, we never thought of ourselves as like creating yoga liberties or anything like that. Because I don't know, I'm sure someone here has been to a yoga yoga journal conference. It wasn't like very glitzy and glamorous. It was pretty nerdy, right? It was like pretty nerdy. It wasn't until Wanderlust came along that they made it like really cool and then, you know, had music and it was outdoors. And I feel like that was much more of where it felt like just cooler. Yeah. The the yoga journal stuff just to me. It was a little bit more on the academic side on some level. Yeah. You know, and I think in a way that we pigeonholed ourselves because we didn't diversify enough. Like we didn't have enough different types of people, enough different ages. We didn't, we just got really stuck in this, like, well, like such and such a younger teacher is coming back again. And he said, da, 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 da. So we have to stick to that. It was, it, we, we got kind of stuck in that. So in a lot of ways, the rise of all these different avenues, I think was great and really necessary because people get to decide who they want to listen to and, and who they believe in and who they want to follow. Yeah. Also, the, the reality is the internet is a lot bigger than the ballroom of the Hilton Hotel in New York City on Friday afternoon on September 2nd. You know, so, so you have with the social media coming of age in the yoga world, you have many more people that have access to practicing and to learning, and you have many more people that have access to teaching. So that the shift from, in order to be well-known, you have to have published in a magazine, you know, that only comes out eight times a year, or be teaching at this conference that only happens four times a year. Um, Now it's been decentralized, so people can it's not, I mean, it's not easy to do, but people have more immediate access potentially to kind of the, the means of communi- direct communication to their audience base. Yeah, I think it's changed a lot and something I had asked you and we kind of agreed to talk about it today instead. The whole idea, I think, of that commercialized yoga, it's beautiful. Like I said, you know, you have these platforms yoga journal, yoga international, yoga glow, whatever it is with these phenomenal classes. And then here I am, you know, teaching for a New Jersey studio that half figured out how to use zoom the day after the pandemic started. And I did ask like, how how do we, I I don't know if the word is compete, but you know, how, how can you find the audience when there are these phenomenal organizations that have already created picture, perfect sound, music, integrated, you know, they have three cameras, so you don't have to be turning around on your mat so the left foot isn't, you know, looking wrong or you're like showing them your butt for a whole half a sequence. People don't love commercial production as much as they used to. People don't love that was gonna be my answer. pristine studios. They don't love, you know, when, I, when we used to work on Yoga Journal covers and on, on video shoots, like we had our stylist who would help bit, you know choose outfits for people and she she was great but she was there all day like tugging on the bottom edge of the tank top to make sure that it was flat and perfect people don't like that anymore and that's not to say that people don't like yoga glow i mean of course they do and of course they have a big audience share but just because we can all self publish now it's just become so much more casual and what is the essence of why people do yoga and why they want to still come to yoga right now? They want to connect with someone. 
They want to connect. So if you're their teacher, they still want to connect with you. They really need to connect with you. And so I think this is actually a really important time for individual teachers to like show up for your students, show up in whatever way is comfortable for you, push yourself out of your comfort zone, publish little videos of you talking about yoga, you know, write blog posts. Like seriously, people need support right now and they need support from the people they know and love. I'm so annoyed with you. Why? Did that's I what I was just like, totally what I was right. going to say. Excellent. You said it, but I was just saying. I was going to spend like seven times as much time saying something not as well, but I'm going to still go ahead and do that. Um, what I'm going to say is I'm going to add on to that, which is to say that the amount of people that do yoga online is unbelievable. So there's kind of space for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I think where a yoga studio might make a mistake is try to mostly become an on-demand service that's trying to replicate one of the bigger players that are in the market. I personally think that that's a mistake. What I do not think is a mistake is doing really good live stream content with some like, like get a decent mic. You know what I mean? Like there are, there are going to be a couple like basic things you're going to have to do, which is like let people be able to actually hear you. But I think that the vast majority of students that are practicing with you still want to practice with you. The people that were in my Tuesday, Thursday classes in San Francisco at Love Story, they still want to come to my Tuesday, Thursday classes. They want to support me. They want to support their local students, their local teachers, and their local studios. And so because the live stream is giving them access to me, if they can afford it, they're not going to stop doing those things with me and do something else with someone else. So your students mostly want to keep coming to class with you. I think the other thing is it's not an all or nothing game. What you're going to see, I think, is that, you know, like we have both Netflix and Amazon and HBO. You know what I mean? Like we have like multiple services. So there are going to people be many people who can afford it. Maybe they will keep a Yoga Glow subscription or maybe they'll add a Yoga Glow subscription, but that's the cost of one class a month. They're going to do that, but then they're also going to show up for Tim's class. They're going to show up for Bridget's class. They're going to show up for Nikki's class. I'm saying the people I can see. They're going to show up for Carrie's class, right? That Your students still want to be your students because you're the people that they have a relationship with. That's not going to go away. Where studios will have a tough time is creating on-demand content for people that aren't already their students or in that sphere. Because scaling an online digital business is a difficult thing to do to get, a, to get an audience that's not an existing audience, but to maintain an existing audience and then to kind of multiply that times one or two, right? So I teach Thursday night class, Jim comes to class, Jim tells his best friend about my class. Like that's the, I think that's the hemisphere in the same way that if you were teaching in a local studio, like I still think that's the hemisphere. It's going to be the word of mouth. It's going to be that more personalized engagement. And so I think the last thing that teachers have to do is when they are working live stream is they have to do their best to relate and connect if it's overly produced and it's like me being too formal, if, if then it's not going to feel like that. But if I can stay on for a few minutes before and after and 
talk to Bridget, talk to Nikki, say, hey, what's up? When I'm teaching, say, hey, Tim, bend the front knee a little bit more. You're going to have to maintain that more personal connection. And I'll just tell you on the bigger platforms, you can't do that as well. You you know what I mean? It's, It's a little bit, it's like going to a like stadium show versus like a local show. They're different things, and and the world is big enough for both of those things, and different people are just going to be drawn to doing it. But I think there's space. I really do. I I couldn't agree more with what you said about leaving time, you know, before or after your class. And because I did a short meditation week, I did like a five-day, five mornings of meditation, and... Some of these were students I'd had before, but there were a lot of new people. And I made sure in all of the announcements for it, I said, I'm going to talk for a few minutes. We're going to sit for 30 minutes. And then you can either jump off if you need to go, but I'm going to stay on for 15 minutes and we'll just talk. And those talks were like the best part of my life right now. People just really wanted to talk. And it was just like, I'm just checking in with you. Like, how are you doing? How did that feel? You know, some of it was direct questions about the teaching, but a lot of it was just talking. So we don't have that time right now uh, after class in the studio to connect with each other. We don't have that time in that space. They also don't have that feeling of you holding space for them in the room. So like figure out other ways that that you can be there for them and hold space for them. And that might be what we're talking, you know, this this example, or it might be sending your newsletter more often and like talking to people in your newsletter directly and and talking to them about what you're practicing right now or what you're working through or what challenges yoga is helping you with right now. It's sort of the ultimate cliche of like be yourself, but like show up and be yourself. Yeah. You're still like a local business that is online. So you have to have to relate to the people that are there and connect. And, and, and that- I also think people right now, I, I know a lot of people have talked about this, but we notice it, especially in our neighborhood. We live in a really small neighborhood in San Francisco. I call it a wee village. It's like this little village, right? That has its own little main street. And, and it's like this whole pandemic has forced us all to become more local. But how much more do you appreciate your local spots and the people who own them right now? Like we have supported like all of the businesses up there as much as we can. So everybody's in your corner right now. People want to support you. Yeah. I think that's really important for teachers to hear because I have a lot of friends who are like, well, I don't, I don't know what to put out there. I'm not sure how to say it. And there is, and I'm going to ask you this, a lot of questioning over how to be compassionate, sympathetic, just like kind of right mind, right speaking right now in classes, in conversations with students, you know, every time you sign on, are you addressing what we're going through? Does every class have to have that moment of, you know, discussing collective trauma or, or is it okay to just kind of do your thing? I think it's fine to do your thing, but I'm just going to give like one little offer, one little tip that I think is so helpful. Um, which is you can just start with how's your body feeling right now? How's your body feeling? Because most people who come to an asana class are comfortable talking about their body and they'll be like, oh my God, I'm so stagnant. Like I'm not moving as much as I, instead of thinking of it as like, oh, we all have to share our trauma. Like, how are you doing? And direct them directly. How are you doing physically? Like, that's just, I think for most yoga people, a really easy place to start and should be a comfortable place for a yoga teacher to hold space for, right? To, To inquire about that. 
And then if if people want to talk about more, they can. And if you don't want to talk about more, you don't have to direct the conversation that way. Uh, I'll give you my experience, which is I have been teaching. God, it's been what, like nine weeks, almost ten weeks on Zoom, and I'm not most. I'm mostly not mentioning the just kind of wacko situation we're all in. I'm teaching the yoga class, and I feel like to some degree, probably more so than I do in my normal human life, I kind of compartmentalize. And I, I'm not saying that someone should do that or should not do that. I think that some people are very overtly political in their class. Some people are very overtly spiritual in their class. Some people aren't. I tend to be a very overtly political person, but not when I teach yoga. So I think it comes down to the individual. And for me, when I teach a yoga class live or online, I'm teaching a subject, you know. And I know that that primary subject is us and our relationship, but. I'm not super into group processing. Like that's not really my sweet spot. So it's not something. I'm not saying other people shouldn't be, but it's like I'm being. Yeah, I'm being honest. About yeah,、your... I'm being very honest and, and kind of. There's space for both, and I think what's going to happen is, if you are the type of person that is a little bit more of a group processor, or more overtly spiritual, or more overtly political, or more overtly emotional. Then that's going to carry through in your teaching, and that's going to resonate with the student base that is drawn to that. And then other people that want sixty minutes to move and breathe and not think about the pandemic, but want to like try to do a handstand and a backbend, that's going to appeal to those people. So for me, because I'm a little bit more compartmentalized, I really think you can go either way. I'll tell you, I don't feel obliged. I don't feel like culturally obliged to do something or not something. I think that that's a you know that's a an individual personal discretion.、Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, but I would say I mean just to point it out because I think you're not really thinking about it right now that、like、you were the one who wanted to start doing daily podcasts about what's happening right now. Yes, right. So I'm, what I, my point in bringing that up is only that like you can figure out in what ways it's comfortable for you to show up. Right now and show up online, but I, I highly recommend it. I mean, I don't think that. I think that that it, it's just a wise thing right now to be present online. Yeah. The only other thing that just to kind of add on to that is it kind of goes for me with compartmentalization, and I think it's like for me because I teach trainings and workshops and retreats and online and live stream. I teach in all these different formats. Those are different. Each thing is like a little bit different thing for me. And so, because in my live stream classes, I don't tend to process a lot of the general, you know, what we're all dealing with. I want to do that in other contexts. So, right, that's where we've done a bunch of separate podcasts, and that's a place where, on our podcast, we're always processing. So it's not that I don't want to be part of that conversation or acknowledge it. It's for me. It's just about time and place a little bit. I think that it's really special that you're able to create then a space for that. I actually, and I loved your reaction to him, Andrew. Just kind of like a little bit laughing, and it, it made me wonder. I mean, obviously, you're having these conversations about your podcast. But like, what the yoga conversation is in your house, even between the two of you, because like that look was 
amazing. <laughs> like you were just like, what are you talking about? Right? No, no, that that look is more about like the acknowledgement. I mean, I, Jason. And she I, just is my, She admires my teaching so much. <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> Well, and I think she wanted to give you credit that you are creating the space for people to talk about what's going on in the world. Yeah. yeah. And I think like, just to give you a little backstory, it's like when Jason and I met each other, I mean, we just felt like we had, we did, we had so much in common in the way that we like experienced the world as kids in the way that we felt about yoga in the way. And so I sometimes forget that we don't feel the same way about everything. <laughs> it sounds kind of weird, but I think that, you know, as time has gone on, it not to sound like so stereotypical, but it re- is really true that like I'm more comfortable talking about the emotional stuff and like holding space for people in that way. And you're more comfortable. I've outsourced my emotions. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't. No, I'm too emo. I'm you're, too emotional that I shut it like down. Very Yana. Like you're very like the intellect and like. The, pro- the mental process. Like when it comes to yoga, not when it comes right, to my right, daily right, right. life. That's what I was talking about. That's what I was talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what that face was. Just the recognition that like, yeah, we're, we are really natural. We are just very different in that, in that way. Well, what is the shared when you said that, you know, getting together, I won't make you go into your childhoods, but when you said how you felt about yoga was so similar, like what was that? Oh gosh. And I mean, has it stayed? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. So well, we met at Yoga Journal, Jason was teaching he, classes there. And I think my memory of when I first really got to know you was I hired you to write a few columns for the website that ended up being Webby Award winners, which he lords over me forever. And I don't know if you guys know, but there's one person you're looking at that has won a Webby Award. It's a massive, it's kind of the, you might have heard that you might have heard of a Pulitzer. The Webby is kind of like. Just saying. Less, you know, it's like, just less popular version of the same thing. I just remember like we would, we would have lunch and like talk about assignments and I can't remember the specifics. I just remember that we just sort of, it's so hard to describe. I think Andrew is pretending to be more emotional and I'm pretending to be less emotional (laughs) because I think actually in some, we're not pretending, I'm, I'm joking. I think in some ways our perspective is both of us are critical thinkers. Yeah. Both of us are, we're kind of skeptics, but both of us are in the yoga world. It's not like we're unreceptive, right? You can be more than one thing. You, you can have a belief system and yet question elements of the belief system. You can be part of a community, but not be a true believer of just everything that is in that community. So I feel like the way that we connected really well on the yoga landscape was that we were critical thinkers about it and that that we both had very verbally processing brains about what we would go through mentally or emotionally or physically and things about the yoga practice that resonated with us and the things that didn't and the things about the yoga community that resonated with us and that didn't. I don't think either of us very frequently have a simple opinion about something. You know what I mean? Like we, we tend to have like kind of a. <laughs> Call it nuanced. Yeah. I like to say it's a new, we were very nuanced opinions. Yeah. Many. many so I, I, I think that was it. And I think that, but ultimately we both also have similar nervous systems. You know, here's the thing is like, 
Anyone that does a lot of yoga for a long period of time is not doing it because they're already perfectly sane and well-balanced and realized. They're doing it because they need constant bleeping help. So, you know what I mean? So I think that, you know, even though both of us have some critical thinking elements to who we are and to how we approach yoga, I still think at the same time, like this practice works really well for us and and we have that bond around it. I'll also say that we don't really ever at home talk about yoga. We don't practice yoga together ever. Not anymore. We used to. I mean, but it's been decades. I mean, it's been forever. It's been since before we had a kid. Yeah. You don't take each other's classes, nothing? Well, I have, but I've only been able to take his classes during the pandemic because usually when he's teaching, I'm with the kid, right? So it's been like seven years and I cannot, I I cannot take his yoga glow classes. It's so weird. You don't practice with a spouse. It's so amazing. through the computer. I'm like, stop telling me what to do. Like, I just like want to just scream. She can't do. I can't deal. But- I've been taking, but I take my own yoga glow class pretty much every day because it's the only class that is, (laughs) that means so weird. So I, but during like recently when he's been teaching his live streams, I've been able to take his class and it's been amazing. I've been really happy. So the, the not practicing together has really came to pass when we had a child. I didn't, I didn't mean it as an affront. The thing, I think that's one of the things going back to yoga land that's nice is it's where we get to actually talk about a lot of the stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it becomes it becomes this very natural place that we have a life slash work conversation, and we just record it. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So if you are going to practice with the teacher, who is, well, but after Jason's done taking his own class, yeah, I can only learn from myself. And I take Tim's class. I take my class. Compare notes. I take Steph's class a lot. Um, Stephanie Snyder on. I haven't heard of her. Yoga. <laughs> I take Steph's classes on Yoga Glow. I take Steph's live classes. And I've been taking the live local teachers in our area, Jack Workman and Haley Havelock. And I also really like Amy Apolity on Yoga Glow because it's just very straightforward. Like if I'm going to do a Yoga Glow class, I want to like have a clear expectation what's going to happen. And then it happens and then I'm done. Yeah. I just want to go on record and say I do not practice with myself on Yoga Glow. That was a joke. I'm horrified to hear myself at any given time. I can barely even stand myself while I'm actually talking. I can't imagine having to take my own class. And I say that with loving kindness and self-respect. It would kind of be funny probably if you went back because I'm sure there's things you said. I can't. Nope. Nope. Can't do it. Emotionally, I'm not, a, I'm not open to going through that. It used to be like reading a diary. Like I've never had a diary, but I can only imagine if you went back 10 years and read your own diary or like 10 minutes. Like anything that happened like two minutes ago is like embarrassing. (laughs) I don't know what it is. Like if I said something literally at the beginning of this, I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I used to say that. We should do a Mortified. Has anyone heard of Mortified? I know it's on the East Coast as well. Oh, so good. So Mortified is, it's a show, like it's a live show that you go to and it's all pre-planned and pre, you know, like the people who are telling the stories, their stories have been slightly edited with working with an editor. I only know this because one of my best friends did it. And you get up in front of a bar room full of people and you read a diary, like your own, you read diary. A, your own diary. And it's like from some period of time and it is mortifying. <laughs> it's so funny. I went um, to one once and was so happy. And I usually don't like to go outside. Yeah. 
So someone should do like a mortified for yoga teachers. Oh my That'd God. Be amazing. It's called oh, YouTube. Things that you probably said in like those first years of teaching and class oh. instructions. Oh, I can't, I, I, I can't, I can't go there. It wasn't that bad. I, I know, I but was there with you, still. but it wasn't that bad. What are you teaching? What are you both kind of inspired by now? Like, let's get to the actual, now that we're 42 minutes in, let's get to the yoga aspect, I guess. I'm sure there's people that want to hear that. Like, what are you teaching? What are, what are you seeing pandemic or not? Like what's happening in your classes? I mean, what's happening in my classes is directly related to pandemic. So for me, it's a couple things. It is a more modern body has all sorts of challenges of like length and weakness on the backside and, and shortness and tightness on the front side but even more so now. So I feel like there's really two major things that are coming through in my classes. Number one is more consistent, longer duration robustness. Like I feel like people need to move, man. I really, really, really do. Or I, that, isn't my, that isn't my value judgment on others. That's what I need in my own body. And that's what I'm seeing in my students that are working with me. Um, so really steady beginning to end pretty strong practices, not necessarily hard poses, but strong practices that are primarily composed of high functioning, accessible postures, and then emphasizing things that are creating more strength, more engagement on the back and lateral sides of the body. And then much more that's just creating length on the front side of the body um, and then the, the final, I guess the third thing, the final component of that is engaging a little bit at end range. So making sure that when the body's in a, a fully lengthened position, that it's not in a passive state, but that there's some tone within everything that has, has gone into that length, right? So for me, it's, it's pretty clear that if I want to help people facilitate greater range within their body... I also want to help them create greater strength and control and distribution of stress at that range. So in evolution from the inclusion of passive technique, which, which works well in other contexts, it's just not what I'm focused on in, in this situation. So getting people to lengthen that front side with engagement and getting people to move and breathe and just relate to what is happening in their body at this time. It's just kind of like... Everything that I've always done, but I feel like everyone is going through what they've always gone through, but in an even more intense and pressurized and compressed time frame. And I feel like that's what you are really resonating with. Yeah. You yeah, know, I, I need to work hard right now on my body because so much of the day, like no matter what you do, no matter how many walks you take around your neighborhood, you're just, you feel stagnant. Yeah. For me, outside of yoga too, just trying to maintain uh, good cardiovascular health, which which is fine in yoga, but I, I don't. That's not really where I'm interested in developing that because I don't it, I don't find it the most effective place to do it. So maintaining cardiovascular health and and maintaining just good overall strength through resistance training outside the yoga mat as much as I can, which is pretty frequently. Mm -hmm. when you, I guess, look forward, because you talked before about how you sort of have these five or six different pieces of your career. And Andrea, I know you also do. You guys do a lot of different things. 
And I know it's impossible to say what the future looks like. And I guess it's very unyogic of me to even ask because we should all be present, right? <laughs> You're not mutually exclusive. We're also humans, right? <laughs> so what, what are you thinking? About what's going to happen? On the business even, side? Not for all of us, but like when you look at what's next. Oh, yeah. Well, I, can I tell the returns? Yeah. Like a few weeks before any of this happened, Jason looked at me and said, you know, within like five years or so, I don't want to travel this much. I just, I want to, I want to shift things around. I, I, it's too much. I'm getting too old, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah. The phrase was, I'm going to retire. Okay. He feels where I didn't know if you felt comfortable. I'm going to retire. And so then a week into, uh, into shelter in place, he looked at me and he's like, well, my wish came true. It just came true a lot earlier than we expected. This year, you know, we've canceled all your travel. Um, Still holding out on the Maui retreat. Okay. That would be amazing. But we just don't, it just doesn't seem feasible to My fingers are crossed. keep planning that way. And we do a lot of advanced planning for marketing things and planning things. So for us this year, it's, it's a lot of hunkering down. I'm excited. He probably wants to like run for the hills because he hasn't been home this much with, with two women in a really long time. Three. Oh, yeah, the dog. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we're going to be doing a lot of your offerings online. And so figuring that out together and and how to make it like more dynamic and interesting th for people. I think he's really done an amazing job of that with your those two the two week teacher training modules. I have taught two 100 hour long mm -hmm. trainings since the beginning of shelter in place. And it's been massive and it's only partly through Zoom. Like we have a learning management system, building courses. Like, you know, this is something for everyone to consider, which is we're starting to see, it's not a light switch. It's not like, okay, everything is closed now. Okay, everything is open now. It's really clear as things are starting to open that we have anywhere from eight months to longer of even once things are open, they're going to be socially distanced. And the only way that individual teachers and studios are going to survive is if there is a component of online that goes with everything. Because you're not going to get enough people in a socially distanced yoga room in order to keep the lights on or put food on your table. So the bottom line is, even as we move back into brick and mortar to some degree, there is going to be a long ramp of digital. When I build that out further, I don't see any technology that has been incorporated into the world that is then given up on. So to me, I just don't see right now a scenario where we aren't going to be doing hybrid-based things where you have a real, you have people in room and you are, have people distance learning. So what that is for us is being extremely proactive with conversion of live content to online and doing it in a way that feels really well produced and thorough and organized and at the same time accessible and casual and, and like has has some feeling to it. So it's a, for all of us, it's a real fast forward into our next adventure. Get yourself a decent mic and a decent chair at home because this is where it's going to be for a while, you know? And I miss it. You know, I, I, it's, it's funny. Like I joke around a little bit. 
I think everyone likes to exaggerate their, their certain foibles. I know I certainly do. But I really miss being in the room with people. I really do. And my joke around that is like, if I miss being in the room full of people, <laughs> man, oh man, other people must really miss being in the room with people, right? The first month of shelter in place, all I could say was, I am built for quarantine. <laughs> I, was, I was living my best life, man. I was so pumped, you know? But in part, because I like my family. I like where we live. You know what I mean? Like, we're good. But I, I do think we're going to be back in that place where we have the really great part of interacting with others. And they're going to be in our room. But I, I think we all have to consider that there is going to be a hybrid and that that hybrid is probably to some degree here to stay. And so all of us have to be very thoughtful about the opportunities that provides us instead of just the, oh, woe is me. I don't want it to be this way. You're going to have to kind of sort out like, all right, well, how are we going to do this in a way that feels honest and is, is interesting to us? For me, and I wanted to bring this topic up a little bit. We had a bunch of different students reach out and ask specifically about like inclusivity in a yoga space. And while I was thinking about it last night and really sort of playing into what you just said, maybe this is the time for the inclusivity discussion to become way more than a discussion because you could turn off that Zoom screen and it doesn't matter where you are, what you look like, what all level you are in the all level class, you can be there and maybe start to build the confidence and that sense of community with people like you, Andrea, who are giving the extra 15 minutes at the end to actually spend time with people. Um, but just if you guys had any kind of thoughts on, I don't want to call it an issue. I think it's discussion and hopefully something that we're going to be able to build towards inclusivity in the practice and in studios, because it's definitely lacking in most communities. I have so much to say about this, and I feel like my thoughts aren't really organized. So I'm just going to do my best. And I am planning um, a podcast. And I'm not sure exactly if you're, if you're sort of talking about our response to George Floyd, if you were alluding that or to that or not. I think we have to allude to it, right? I think that, but that's what's sort of present. That's just present for me when you said that. And so I think that this is just a time where anyone who has privilege and needs to think about what actions they can take to make things better in the world. So that might be in the form of donating money. That might be in the form of creating a fundraiser. That might be in the form of giving out a scholarship to students. That might be in the form of following Black leaders and your Instagram account and listening to what they say and reading and trying to learn about what it means to be privileged and how we've all benefited and not really thought about it as much as we perhaps should. So there's just so many things that need to happen. And like I said, I mean, I'm kind of a jumble about all of it. I just every day I'm trying to think of what actions I can take to make things to just contribute in a more, more positive way. And lifting up Black voices, like making opportunities more present for people who are working hard. And, and another thing, obviously, is to really, really try to make, in order to really, really make our community more inclusive, the things that you were talking about are like completely make sense. But I think what we have to think about is there are so many people who are not aware that these practices are even there for them, right? There has to be outreach. 
there has to be active outreach into communities. And one of the great ways that I think we already are doing that is by bringing yoga into schools, into public schools, because then you're starting kids really young and there isn't like any stigma attached and there isn't, right? Like everyone in the classroom is doing it or everyone in the classroom is learning to take their five minute mindfulness timeout or whatever it is. I think more of that is really important, starting people young so that these things are just natural, a natural part of their, their lives. And also I think that there are people in the yoga community who are doing a really good job of helping their own community. So supporting people who are supporting their own communities is also really important. So obviously, you know, no one has the answers right now. The only thing we can do is just like keep it in our awareness, keep talking about it, keep being conscious of it, and then take whatever small actions or big actions we feel we can take. That's my feeling. What do you think, Bridget? Um, I think I want to learn how to talk like you when I grow up because... That was a truly wonderful answer. And I think one of the biggest things that's come up for me in conversation is how important it is for us to listen because we don't, when we're coming from a place of privilege, we really don't know what we're saying, you know? And I see a lot of people throwing things up on Instagram, you know, reposting this meme, that meme. And what I've heard over and over again from people who this really directly affects and, you know, from black and brown communities is that, myself and many people probably sitting in the same seat of privilege as I am need to kind of shut up and listen and have open ears and open hearts. And then, as you said, kind of make decisions and take action from that place where we're, we're learning. We're not just doing. Yeah. 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 That's yes. Wise words. No, I was just going to say that, um, it's really hard to listen you know, it, it's, it's part of the skill set that the yoga practice can help develop, you know, is that it takes time, it takes practice, it takes skill, it takes foresight, it takes repetition. It's when we do the yoga practice, meditation, whatever it is, there's this inherent underlying process of paying attention to what's happening as it's happening. And that skill has to then translate into other phases of life. It is listening is something that is much easier said than done. And it's why we all need these practices. Well, I so appreciate you guys giving us this hour of your time. Okay, well, I faded out that last part because you know where to listen to the podcast. I didn't need to make you listen to all of that. Two things I'll mention really quickly in case it is of interest to you. We are going to move the remaining workshops for Jason's year 2020 online. So if you are interested in studying with Jason this year, you can still do that. And I will have all of the information up soon so you can register soon. And I wish I had it all for you right now so I could give you a URL, but I don't. So if you don't already, please subscribe to our newsletter. That's where I am most up to date with everything and announce things the earliest. So if you want to get into a workshop, please subscribe to our newsletter and then you'll be the first to know when those are open for registration. And 
And we are also hoping to keep our live retreat on Maui happening this year. So that is set to happen October 17th through the 23rd. We've got our fingers and toes crossed that everything will be okay in COVID land that we can all go. So if you're interested in learning more about that, you can go to our website and click on retreats and find out all the good info. It's it's our favorite time of the year. We've done it for several years and that's why we're not giving it up yet. We really hope we can still go and see all of you. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Until next week, enjoy your practice. <music>